want you to stand with me, and uh, I get the great privilege of proclaiming all these great truths we've just sung about. I'm going to read to you from the Gospel according to Genesis, chapter 39, and I do it's, think it's appropriate to say it that way because all the Bible is about Jesus. So we're going to see a picture of Jesus here as we continue in our study through the life of Joseph in uh, Genesis chapter 39, beginning in verse number 1. Uh, now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had brought him down from the Ishmaelites, had bought him rather from the Ishmaelites, who had brought him down from there. <clears throat> the Lord was with Joseph. And he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in in his sight and attended him. And he made, Potiphar made Joseph overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food that he ate. Let's pray together. God, I praise you that we have a trustworthy overseer, and his name is Jesus, that he can be trusted, that your favor is upon him, and when we entrust everything we have to him, the favor that is upon him extends to us wonderful picture of Jesus in the gospel according to Genesis. Give us grace to see it, to savor it, and rescue us from the foolish, foolish lie that we make better overseers of our lives than the author of life. May we be delivered from that destructive lie for his Glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you may be seated and um, start by way of illustration. I brought along a book that my family and I are reading through at dinner time. We don't do it every night, but uh, over the course of um, uh, the last little while, we're reading a Farmer Boy. It's from the Little House on the Prairie series. Anybody like the Little House on the Prairie series. Julie and I read these books, and then we sort of think to ourselves, man, we'd love to live in those days, right? And uh, I was telling the group Wednesday, I think it was, that uh, we, we read these books and say, man, it would be so great to live back then. And a couple of weeks ago, our hot water heater went out. And I just have to tell you, that delivered us from that notion, right? So, uh, so I'm grateful to live in these days, but uh, we've been reading, and it's got uh, great uh, stories in it. And um, you'll go Uh, page after page of of prose, and what I've noticed about all my children, all four of them, and uh, just to be truthful, what I've noticed about every child is as you read a book like this to them, 
and then you get to the picture, right? We'll be tracking along, and here's a picture. They all want to see the picture, right? I see them, and when we turn a page, and they see that there's a picture on the page, well, some of them sometimes get up from the table, and they'll just walk around. They'll walk over to my shoulder and say, oh, okay, I see the picture, right? The, the picture reinforces the prose. Makes, I mean, I know it's obvious, makes sense. What I'm getting at is the Old Testament is wonderfully full of pictures that illustrate New Testament truth. In Genesis 39, what I want us to do is uh, let's come alongside, right? Let's examine this picture. And the, New T- the Old Testament story of Genesis 39 is giving us a picture, I believe, of here's, a, here's one place that the New Testament states the truth. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, just listen to it. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. What that verse just told you is that you are blessed by God, and the phrase is, in Christ. He says it twice, just so we don't miss it. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. In that section, Ephesians 1 goes on to say that he's adopted us by his grace and has reconciled us by lavishing his mercy upon us through Christ, who he set forth as a plan in the fullness of time to unite all things together in him, whether things in heaven or things on earth. So one way that I think we would be able to summarize that chapter, Ephesians 1, is that Jesus Christ is the trustworthy overseer. So what we're going to do is, again, Joseph is one of many beautiful pictures in the Old Testament about Jesus. In fact, if you're a faithful and diligent reader and student of Scripture, and I believe uh, in my own heart and mind, I'll just be honest and straightforward with you, it's irreconcilable to me that you would love Jesus and not love the Bible that proclaims him, right? So as you diligently and faithfully, out of joy, study the Bible, and particularly when you're in the Old Testament, you're going to see two things over and over again, portraits of Jesus and proclamations of why we need him. In other words, you'll see pictures of a Savior, and then you'll see over and over again why we need saving. And one of the clear the truths from the Bible is we cannot save ourselves. But the unfortunate truth is we're hardwired in our nature to believe that we can. That's why, again, most any nation you go to on earth and you ask the question, however you might want to articulate it, how can you get to heaven How can you experience true life? So on and so forth. Most people, no matter their nationality, no matter their language, no matter their religion, quite frankly, will articulate the response to that question somewhere along the lines of do well, be a good person, perform good works. Friends, the Bible says that you don't have that in you. The best you can do in God's sight, the Bible proclaims, is filthy rags, right? We cannot save ourselves. We need one to come and save us, and that is the message of the Bible. The picture that we've already seen of Jesus from the life of Joseph is this, that the one that they betray and refuse to bow down to is the one upon whom they depend, ultimately. And that's true of your life, and that's true of my life. The one who's been betrayed, the Lord Jesus As a matter of fact, even the act of our own betraying him at the cross is what's required for us to be reconciled to him. And he did so willingly. So, seated around the table, we'll get up and let's read the 
uh, the story together. Parenthetically, I want to say to parents and grandparents here on Father's Day, this is why it's so important for us parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, people who love children, to read Bible stories to them. But I want to make this very important point. As you do so, you always want to connect the Bible story to Jesus. There's great resources in the day in which we live. uh, Jesus Storybook Bible. I love um, The Mighty Acts of God by Star Mead. These are wonderful stories where, where we're not just learning the stories, we're learning that they all point to Jesus. Because if we don't do this, listen to me, listen, this is important. If we don't do this, we begin to treat the Old Testament as just stories of morals, good morals. David was brave, be brave. Joseph was nice, be nice. When things got tough, Joseph just stuck with it. Now, there, there are good morals to learn from the Bible, but friends, when you disconnect at the story's point to Jesus, you've disconnected what they're all about. And truthfully, you've disconnected them from their power. That's why you can raise up a generation that's familiar with Bible stories. Okay, we know about Noah's Ark. Noah's Ark is all about that there's a place where you can be preserved from the wrath of God. It's a picture of Jesus. The Exodus, a wonderful event. But you know what the Exodus is all a picture of? There's a mediator who was Moses that we're rescued by grace through a mediator unto being made holy. That's the storyline of the people of God in the Old Testament. And you see over and over that they can't be holy. He tells them what to do. They can't do it. We need one who obeys on our behalf. We want to be a people who don't come to the Bible and say, what would we like to get out of this? We come to the Bible and say, we believe in humility, that this is Holy Spirit-inspired Scripture. So the wrong question is, what would I like to read into this? The right question is, why did he write this down for us to know to begin with? And we understand from Luke 24, Jesus opened their minds to understand the Scripture. And beginning with Moses, he interpreted to them all the things written in the Scripture concerning himself. Amen? So let's jump in. Luke, uh, I'm sorry, Luke, Genesis chapter 39. And let's pray together eagerly that we can see this picture the way God painted it. Father, we pray now in Jesus' name, we're not here for anything less than to understand what you intended when the Holy Spirit inspired Genesis 39 to be written. Give us grace not to fall short of any lesser goal. God, I think of Luke 24. And I pray in Jesus' name that you will open up our minds to understand the Scripture. For I believe when we truly see Jesus as He is, all the lesser portraits that the world esteems are seen for what they rightly are. Lesser. And Jesus, seen as He is, truly greater. ask that in His name. Amen. Well, I want to start with the first point. If you've got an outline and you want to follow along, we're simply going to make this observation that the favor of God was upon Joseph. The favor of God was upon Joseph. And I get that right from verse 2. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. Now, Joseph is a young man, remember this time, he's about 17 years old, born into a family of violent, rebellious, sinful brothers. He had had dreams that one day he would rule over them, and his 10 older brothers were deeply resented that message. 
So when, when his father, Jacob, had sent Joseph, this is just a summary of last Sunday, to check on his brothers, the father, out of compassion and concern, sent Joseph to check on his brothers. Remember, they saw him from afar. Remember what they did? Before he could arrive on the scene, they plotted to kill him. They strip him of his coat of many colors, right? The coat that his father had gave, given him that distinguished Joseph as the heir to the inheritance. And they stripped him of his coat. They threw him in a pit. The only reason they didn't kill him is they decided they could make a little money off of him. And so instead of killing him, they sell him into slavery. And then they return to their father and lie about what happened, right? Put the blood of an animal on the, uh, on the coat of many colors and lie to Jacob who himself, as you know, had uh, been a deceiver in his own life. And now Jacob believes that his son is dead and his hope all placed in his son is dashed. And the brothers had stripped him of his robe, taken away all his earthly possessions. And we have the audacity to say the favor of God was upon him. Can we get a correction here? Having the favor of God upon your life, this is so important because there is an incredible amount of false teaching on this subject. The favor of God upon your life does not mean that your life is easy and comfortable. As a matter of fact, you'll see all through Scripture, those that point to Jesus very frequently have lives that are anything, right, but comfortable and easy. So may that rescue us from the notion that therefore we can be his ambassadors in the world, now representing Christ as we pursue ease and comfort. We have to daily put that notion to death. So Joseph arrives in Egypt, um, and yet all the, uh, uh, while, while all of his earthly possessions were gone, the blessing of God was upon him. So we need to mark this down. You can lose everything, but if you've not lost God, you've not really lost anything. Amen? This points to a great passage in Romans. Again, uh, uh, what shall separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus? You know this passage? Shall tribulation or distress or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor power nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The brothers could betray him, but they had no power to separate Joseph from God. Mark it down in your life. You can lose everything but you can't lose the Lord. So advice, if I may, you better build your life on what you cannot lose. That's what Jesus says, man who builds his life on a rock, and this is it's important. Jesus doesn't say the man who builds his life on the rock, therefore the winds won't come and the rains won't come and the floods won't come. That's not what he says. He says even when they do come, the house is going to remain because his life is built on a rock. The brothers are building their lives on a lie. Joseph is building his life on a rock. So let's do get a few observations about Joseph as he pictures Jesus. First of all, Joseph demonstrates perseverance. Brought down, brought down, brought down. Did you see it? Three times in Genesis 39.1. Joseph had been brought down. Potiphar, uh, an Egyptian, had bought him. Uh, two, two times brought down and one time bought him. The 
bought and brought look similar, right? <laughs> but, but the second, brought him down, down, down. Do you see it? Do you see it? He did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a servant. He became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Who's Philippians 2 talking about? Not Joseph, but Jesus. But Joseph is an Old Testament picture of New Testament truth. So Joseph appears as a servant, and if you know the whole story, he appears as a servant, but he's come to reign. That's Jesus, my friends. So Joseph demonstrates perseverance. He shows up in Egypt, strange land, doesn't speak the language. Have have you ever been in a, a country where most everybody else around you doesn't speak your language? It's disorienting right? You, you can't get the most common and the most uh, basic tasks done. You can't even have a conversation, right? So Joseph, think about this, shows up in Egypt, and everything is strange. Zero friends upon his arrival, but he perseveres. He's a persevering servant. We live, friends, in an excuse-obsessed culture, an excuse for everything. We're eager to find reasons why we can't do things. And Joseph here, friends, has got every excuse in the book, right? Everything in my life has gone wrong, and he, 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 can, he can show up in Egypt with the biggest chip on his shoulder that anybody's ever had, because he has truly suffered for, uh, he, he suffered unjustly. And there are a thousand excuses at his disposal, but one thing that guards them from all of them, it's verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph. Friends, the Lord will liberate you from excuses. The Lord was with him. This greatly affects your outlook and your performance, right? <laughs> F.B. Meyer, I love his quote, his book on Joseph. He said, though stripped of his cloak, he was not stripped of his character. That matters. Who you are is not what the outside looks like. It's what the inside looks like. So Joseph shows up, and he demonstrates perseverance. Secondly, Joseph demonstrates a diligent work ethic, now, here is not what Genesis 39 says. Potiphar bought Joseph and immediately made him the overseer of his house. It's not what happened. Let's do a little bit of math here, right? When Joseph is going to, and he's not just going to reign in Potiphar's house, mind you. He's going to reign over Egypt. That's going to happen when he's 30 years old, right? He was betrayed when he was 17. And anybody good at math? He's going to spend two years in prison. So how much time do we have left over? We've got 11 years. 11 years is summarized in Genesis 39, 1 through 6. And here's what we're getting at. Here's what we're getting at. Joseph demonstrates a diligent work ethic. He spends ages 18, listen to me, ages 18 to 28 in Potiphar's house. And in all that time, Joseph is diligent. Not only are we a generation increasingly that just makes excuses, but we also demonstrate very little, while demonstrating very little perseverance, we're also increasingly a culture that wants significant responsibility in the workplace without demonstrating diligence in the little things. Somebody say amen. Some of you wanted to say amen to that for a long time. There's your opportunity, right? So let's think through this. Joseph does not begin as the overseer at 18. He starts working in Potiphar's fields. He has to learn the language. He has to learn about business and about trade. He has to learn about bookkeeping. He has to learn about how to manage and deal with people. And he has to prove himself reliable and focused and honest. Potiphar, this is what we read, found out that he could trust him. 
And Joseph brought nothing but good to Potiphar's house. So this teaches us something incredibly important. And I do find it's not something that we as Christians think about, and I don't quite know why, but we should. And it's this, your work matters to God. The way you work, it matters to God. And I don't know why it is, but we get this notion that we got our spiritual life over here and then our work life over here. Let me ask you this real simple question. Where do you spend most of your time? I'm not even talking about work for pay. We are talking about that, but that's not all we're talking about. You spend most of your time working and serving and laboring, right? That's the mark of the curse upon us in some regard. But I also want you to know before the fall came, God had given Adam a job to do. Supposed to keep the garden. He didn't do that very well. (laughs) It's important, friends. Do you perform your work in such a way that it honors God? One of the best examples of your witness to the outside world is your work, how you go about your job, right? Paid, unpaid, however it might be, you know? Some of the most important work we don't get paid for. It's parenting and grandparenting and shepherding children along the the way. So, So please listen. As a matter of fact, if I just talk to everybody specifically in that age, we'll just call it age 25 and under, please listen to me carefully. If you want to be the overseer one day, you've got to learn to faithfully, honestly, diligently work your way up to that point. Let's take a time out and just think about this. Joseph has had a dream that he's going to be the overseer. But I want you to notice that when he's out in Potiphar's fields, the whole world, it feels like, has turned against him. He doesn't go out there and grumble and complain and say, what does this have to do with the dream I have? I'll tell you what it has to do with it. Everything. Everything. The Lord Jesus Christ said, he who is faithful with little can be trusted with much. And I'll tell you this, we're just getting straight from the word here, right? Joseph would have never been placed by Potiphar as an overseer if he hadn't been faithful in the first task that he was given. I hear sometimes when it comes to our work, we just want to do what I want to do. Well, friends, sometimes you've got to do what you've got to do. And you've got to do it with excellence. Say, I don't like my job. And all you do, whether in word or deed, do all for the glory of God if you feel like it. That's not in here. It's not. Whatever you do in word or deed, what you speak, how you work, do all for the glory of God. If you have a supervisor, if you have a boss, what would they say your work ethic demonstrates about your walk with the Lord? Because it, it, is, it is true that one of the clearest demonstrations of our disposition towards God is our work. Focus your best efforts on what God has given you to do right now. Right now. Don't waste all your time thinking about what you'll do next. The best place to flourish is where God has placed you right now. Now let's just go on a market. There are no perfect places. There are no perfect situations. There are no perfect jobs. Um, You never know the greater opportunities that might come your way as you're faithful right now to do what you should where you are. Now, do you think Potiphar would have looked out at his field and seen Joseph sulking through his workday, muttering complaints, doing shoddy work, and said, that's who I'll put in charge? Absolutely not. You know why Potiphar promoted him? Because he was diligent, because he was faithful, 
because day in and day out, he showed up on time. He gave an honest day's work. He probably stayed late, and he worked diligently. And that demonstrates that Joseph has a character like God because God does not walk off the job site, and God does not do shoddy work. That's why our hope is, confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Amen? So let's mark it in our souls and in our hearts. Ought to be when there's a, I mean, I really do believe this is true. When there's a job opening, the first question that should come up, I need to find a Christian. I need to find a God lover. I need to find someone who is obedient to Jesus and faithful to Jesus because I can trust that person to come here and do this job well. As a matter of fact, we'll talk about this more in a moment. Potiphar learned about the Lord through Joseph being his on site as his worker. So, a couple of simple questions. Are you an absolute asset to your employer? Because you're not working for your employer. The whole point is what? Is Joseph working for Potiphar? Yes, but who's Joseph really working for? Working for the Lord. He's working for the Lord. Again, whatever you do in word or deed, do all for the glory of the Lord. So be excellent at your work, right? And don't disconnect it from spiritual things. Oh, that's my work life. No, that's your life. Your walk with Jesus has everything to to do with it. And again, Potiphar learned of God first through Joseph's work. And then the next thing we'll just mark about Joseph is that he does not sulk or complain. Do everything without grumbling or complaining. Again, that goes for the workplace. Amen? Joseph doesn't show up in Egypt complaining about how unfair life is. He doesn't sulk his way through the word of the chip on his shoulder. He doesn't complain. What does working for Potiphar have to do with the dreams that I have? Now, some people might show up day after day, but they complain all the way through. And I can promise you this, friends. If your your life is either going to be full of complaining or full of praise and thanksgiving, and the distinction between the two is what you understand about Jesus and his work, which is where we're going, by the way, what his work has been on our behalf. So look at, uh, look at verse 3. His master saw that the Lord was with him. How did, how did Potiphar see that the Lord was with him? Through the job that Joseph did, right? His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. Two words, we get the word, two times we get the word success, success, success. And it's important for us to understand what that word success means. And ultimately, success in the Lord's sight is that people learn about God. That's when you are successful. So secondly, let's see this point. The favor of God extended to Potiphar through Joseph. The favor of God was upon Joseph. Now the favor of God extends to Potiphar through Joseph. First point is Potiphar learns about the Lord through Joseph. Remember where Potiphar comes from. He's from Egypt. They know nothing about the Lord. They have have so many false gods and and false understandings of who the Lord is. You just perhaps take a moment to, to think, is there someone at my workplace that the whole reason I'm there is that they might learn about the Lord? So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. And from the time that he made him overseer in his house over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house 
for Joseph's sake. That brings us to these points. Potiphar entrusts all that he had to Joseph. Potiphar started to realize, man, every time I put Joseph in charge of something, it just thrives. It's orderly, it's organized, he's an administrator. Everything runs more smoothly when Joseph's over it. And over a sequence of promotions, over 11 years, Joseph demonstrates that Potiphar comes to the point where I just trust everything to him. I've not handed one thing over to Joseph that once I handed it over to him, it didn't get a whole lot better. And then what we also want to see is Potiphar's decision to trust Joseph results in him being blessed. Did you see it? The Lord blessed the Egyptian's house. I want you to see the picture clearly. Words are important. For Potiphar's sake? No. The Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and in field. Now, this is where we want to practice what we preach. We always want to connect it to Jesus, so let's do that. And that brings us to point number three, and that is that a trustworthy overseer, Joseph points us to Jesus. As a trustworthy overseer, Joseph points us to Jesus. So if we're looking at the picture accurately, we, some, some bells should be ringing here, right? So Jesus is an overseer. Do you trust him? Have you handed over everything you have to him? Let's get some um, details about it. Is that, is that first Joseph, I'm sorry, Jesus, <laughs> who are we talking about? Joseph, Jesus. Yes, Jesus appears as a servant and he alone can be trusted as the overseer of your soul. That's who he is. Amen? He's coming. And when we look at him, at first we see him as a servant. Now, Joseph appears as a servant, but he's the one who's going to reign because who said so? Because God said so, right? His brothers betray him. His brothers try to prevent him reigning. And ultimately, we're going to get there as we track along, but if you know the uh, story arc of Joseph's life, he's ultimately going to reign over all of Egypt. He's brought into Egypt as a servant, and he's going to reign over the place that he was brought. Jesus appears on the earth as a servant, but he's going to reign. He is the overseer. And why did Potiphar make Joseph the overseer? Because he examined his work. Potiphar examined his work. So that leads me to say to you, you need to examine the work of Jesus. Best place to do that would be where? Where does Jesus most clearly demonstrated his work? It's on the cross. There's one part here, I've not yet read it, I think there is a distinction between Joseph and Jesus. Maybe it'll just lead us into the consideration of Jesus' work. It's this statement down here, which is actually going to set up the next time we study Joseph's life. He's going to be tempted. He's going to come out unscathed. Well, he's going to be tempted, but he's going to come out faithful. That's probably a better way of saying it. A little, little preface to Jesus again, right? who was tempted in every way as we are, but was without sin. But, but his statement is this. Now, Joseph, end of verse 6, was handsome in form and appearance. And I want to make the distinction here because when we examine Jesus' work on the cross, we find that that's not so of him. The Bible says that there was no form, same word, 
or majesty that we should desire him. And in fact, when Jesus is on the cross, the Bible seems to indicate that he doesn't even really look like a human being. His figure, his form rather, was marred beyond human semblance, is what the prophet Isaiah will say. But I want you, now again, Potiphar examines Joseph's work and says, he's trustworthy, I can make him overseer of everything I have. Here's where you need to uh, consider. Can you look at the work of Jesus on the cross? And if you truly see and understand what he's doing, your conclusion would be, I can trust him with everything I've got. If that's how he works, if that's who he is, if that's what he does, I would be insane not to trust him with everything I've got. Because if he can do that on the cross, isn't it foolish to think, well, well, he'll handle that, but I'll handle my family. I'll handle my finances. I'll handle my health. I'll handle my uh, uh, morality. No, no, no. whole point is, let's examine his work. And here's a few things that you would see when you examine his work. Is number one, he loves you. He loves you. And he does a, he does a, a complete job. You know, what, you know what you would say if you've done a job well? It's finished. I finished this work. Isn't that, isn't that by the way, isn't that part of the frustrating, the frustration of our work? It doesn't ever finish, right? Ever done your job and you say, but I'm done. I'm good. It's always, right? Always, always. But not this work. This job is done. When he's, what job? Reconciling you to God the Father. Opening up the door for salvation. We were separated because of our sin. We betrayed him. And now the very one we betrayed is the one who reigns. And the one who reigns is the one who's paid for our sin debt. And I pray, I pray, and the Holy Spirit is the only one who can do this, that the Holy Spirit would open up your eyes when you behold Jesus on the cross. You understand what he's done. He's reconciled us to himself. So, so what we'll say here as we picture Jesus is the favor of God extends to you only through Jesus. Here's the way I want you to think about it is. Think about it with with our picture. Potiphar could have uh, could have entrusted the overseeing role to somebody else, not Joseph. But whoever else had that role would not have been able to do what Joseph did. And here's what I mean. Everybody's got an overseer. You've got an overseer. You've got somebody, something that you think is handling everything. And you know who most people make their overseer? Themselves. I'll be my own overseer, Right? I'll handle my own stuff. I don't need anybody else's input. I don't need anybody else's advice. I don't need anybody else's counsel. And we might kind of tip our hat over here, okay, well, the Bible says that, but here's what I'm going to do. And this is important, friends. I, I, I think it's one of the most important things this generation of church life can understand. It's this. Jesus is no one's savior who he's not their overseer. Another way of saying it is, He's not a Savior if he's not the Lord. He, he doesn't say, well, just give me this little piece of your life, this salvation part, and you handle the whole thing. Does this make sense? 
Here's the picture. From that time, there came a moment when Potiphar made a decision. He made him overseer in his house and over all that he had. The Lord blessed for the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That's the picture I want us to to see. Is Jesus your overseer? Do you give him Sundays from 1045 until about right now? And then all the other time and all the other decisions, all the other days belong to, to you? So again, I want to combat the myth and the outright lie that thrives in our culture and in our churches these days that it's somehow possible for Jesus to be your Savior but not your overseeing Lord. He oversees for your good. You see that Joseph didn't go into Potiphar's house and, and, and destroy his house. He made his house thrive. Everything got better. Friends, your marriage will be better if you let Jesus be the overseer of your marriage. Your home will be better if you let Jesus be the overseer of your home. What does it mean? What does it mean? I let Joseph make the decisions. When we got to order, the more, order more supplies, right? Where's the conflict that needs to be handled between these workers under my care and oversight, right? You let Jesus oversee your life? That's what he says. He who loves me keeps my commands, right? And, and, and the blessing and favor of God extended to Potiphar for the sake of Joseph. What we say, the blessing and favor of God extends to you for the sake of Jesus. He extends his blessing and favor to you for the sake of Jesus, the one who appears as a servant, but is truly the overseer of all things. So here's our concluding and rather simple question, and I hope that uh, we've uh, studied enough that the question is clear. Have you done unto Jesus what Potiphar did unto Joseph? So I left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, here's where the rubber meets the road. He had no concern about anything. No concern. That's a, it's a Holy Spirit nudge right here, if not outright shove for our good. You understand what I'm saying? So here's, here, here's what I mean. In your soul, in your heart, in your mind, you have you have peace and security to the extent that you've entrusted your soul to Jesus. If not, concern, concern, concern. I'm anxious. I'm concerned. I'm anxious. Again, friends, let's get the full picture, right? Joseph had many trials. And if we put it this way, the reason Joseph was such a wonderful overseer of Potiphar's house is because Joseph trusted the Lord as the overseer of his own life. Joseph knew he's headed somewhere because he had received the word of the Lord. Amen? That didn't mean that it was a smooth journey from point A to point B. It was anything but those things. 
There's many things that we face in life that can be concerning. But you've got a trustworthy overseer. Look at his work. Examine what he's done. Examine what he's promised. Do you trust him? Stand together and we'll pray together. That's the question we will consider and respond to as we have our invitation. Do you trust him? Do you trust him? Are you trying to give him an overseer as a part-time job? Or overseer of part of your life? He entrusted all he had. Trusted all he had. Father, lead our invitation time now. We've come along the scripture and examined a picture of Jesus in the life of Joseph. And Father, we confess, I confess, I'm prone to want the overseer role in my own life. I want it for myself. I think I can do it. I think I could be good at it. So I'll use the word of God to correct me. I'll go off track. I'll I'll go towards destruction as I seek to be the overseer. But thank you ultimately, Father, that the Lord Jesus Christ, he is the overseer. We simply need to recognize it in humility. So, Father, I pray that now the Holy Spirit uses the Word of God to teach us, correct us, train us, reprove us, and that our invitation time now is in response to the matter that you have laid out in your Word. It's important for us to consider, as all of us have an overseer, give us clarity on who it is. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.